Welcome everyone to the gaming couch. Be it video games, card games, or board games, we'll have a good time playing. So come and join me on the couch. This is your host, Smart Boy. Evening, everyone. So I got a plan. I figured we've talked a bit about a couple of different like, random things for the past few episodes, and then season one was focused mostly just, you know, different game elements and stuff like that. However, I noticed I, I feel I missed something very important in that first season when it comes to making and playing games, and that is creativity. Now, this could look at any way. We could look at developers, look at the players, you know, how they play, the style of the game, you know, whatever. Creativity is very important to enjoyment of a game, and I feel like an idiot for missing that. So I think now we're going to officially transition to what we'll call Season 3 onto a fo more focused topic than the last season when it was kind of just like a general broad history discussion kind of stuff. And Season 3 will focus on this idea of creativity, yet through the lens of Dungeons & Dragons. Now, I do kind of want to dedicate the next batch of episodes to D&D because I think there's a lot that goes on with it. There's a lot we can talk about about it. And me personally, I've been running, well, technically only two, but it feels like a lot. Only two campaigns, but they're parallel to each other in the same universe. And there's a lot that's been going on in it, you know, over the summertime with my friends. And now that the school year started back up, I'm still playing with my friends. However, I have a group of high schools that I teach that is also part of this D&D group. We have some fun with it. Now, Creativity in Dungeons & Dragons is all over the place. The way a player makes their character is a creative aspect. The way they roleplay their character on top of that is another creative aspect. The way the characters interact with one another is creative right there. The way the Dungeon Master sets up the game, whether they're using a pre-made campaign, making their own, the way they roleplay NPCs, etc., etc., etc. There's a lot of creativity that goes on in this game. And I think we're going to talk about, you know, the parts of Dungeons & Dragons that are important, that I feel, you know, tips to DMs, stuff like that, things that I've kind of developed over time that it should be thought about, be talked about, that could impact your game if you play Dungeons & Dragons, if you're a DM or if you ever thought about it. Maybe this will kind of help give you some ideas and get you started on making your own campaign for your friends and other people and stuff like that, whatever. So creativity, this time in the lens of improv, okay? Improvisation is a GM's greatest tool, I believe. I'm not saying improv the whole goddamn thing. Like, I, I bought some notebooks, and I'm actually writing notes down in notebooks of the campaigns that we're running. It's, you know, stuff that happens, things that I want to have happen during the next session, notes on dungeons, drawings, things like that. Like, there are notes everywhere. Yet... Anyone who's ever DM'd before can tell you that it doesn't matter how much planning you put into something, the players are going to find a way to mess it up. And that's not a bad thing. When I say mess up, I mean, okay, I had this plan that they're going to walk through this door, they're going to encounter this boss, there's going to be these traps there, yeah, you know, I'm going to do all this really cool stuff, and the players come up with some creative way to get around it. Now, they didn't do it on purpose. Like, they didn't know that encounter was coming up. They just thought about, hey, what if we did this? Or, you know what? Fuck this. Let's go do something else. Let's do a different quest. Something like that. Like, the players will find a way to mess things up, put a wrench in your plans. And now it's like you as a GM, well, okay, now let's 
make this up on the fly. You could end the session early and then plan things out, or you could just have a little fun with improv. Like maybe you have some notes about something else that you want to pull in now. And like, you know what, let's just, you know, I have a couple of random encounters ready on the side. Let's pull them in. Let's see what the players do with them. You know, you make up some NPCs right then there, you know, uh, DMs have different ways of improving. me. I don't like to prepare extra. I like to prepare just what I want for the next session to be just some notes. If it's a dungeon, the dungeon layout, have that ready. And then the players decide to do something else than what I had set up improv it. You know, I don't even have like random encounters set in my universe. I just like to improv off what the players do and build it off of that. Try and get some player buy-in because whatever it is that they're trying to do now, I'm reacting to it and I enjoy that. This particular case, I'm going to use some examples from the campaigns I've been running to tell you exactly like where improv as a DM can really shine and can help grow your campaign. So I have a party of three players, fighter, rogue, and monk. The rogue has decided to be an arcane trickster, so he has access to some spells. Beyond that, though, there's very little healing. <clears throat> Sorry. There's very little healing, and it's more just... Put out as much damage. It's a glass cannon party. Put out as much damage as possible. The fighter's specced as a champion and is using two-handed weapons. So he's all about just damage and re-rolling low damage. The monk is building off of, like, flurry of blows and deflecting attacks back at their opponents. So he's dodging things and just hitting them back with damage. And a rogue, it's a rogue. Sneak attack for 46 damage because they're currently level 7. So that's 46 in addition to whatever he's using as a weapon. And then his spells deal with changing his appearance, masking him so he can hide better, and then a few damage spells to give him some range options. So yeah, it's a glass cannon party. Now, what was going on, they were in this dungeon, and there was a lot of magical nonsense happening. A lot of weird shit was going down, and it was a very bizarre dungeon for them to go through. It was fun overall to run. I was really enjoying it. Now, they reached this one point where there was this room, and what I decided to do is put some lore behind magic with some ancient magic and say that there are certain gems that can contain magic and can act as a focus of magic. So they entered this one room, and there are these gems scattered everywhere. Now, I'm just going to give you the short and sweet version, because otherwise we'll spend two hours going to details about why the hell I did what I did. So we're just going to take the short and sweet version. They walk into this room, and shortly after they got into the room with all these gems, an encounter started where they were in this fight where like the fight wasn't them defeating the monster in the center of the room the fight was them destroying all the gems present to then cause a time flux to happen and a magic magical surge to happen that erased everything in the room killed the monster in the middle and the players survived that was the end goal and there were some teases earlier on the dungeon about you know gems matching gems or gems that are close to black opals and stuff like that can cause a surge of magic and be destroyed, and the magic dissipates. So there's some. So they had some ideas. Now, what they didn't know was that one of the gems had the ability to cast banishment. Now, this is fifth edition D and D. Okay, five E. Really good edition. And for those of you who don't know, the banish, banishment spell is a fourth level spell, and it can be very powerful for players. So it's a one action cast, and you can do it just during combat right away. And it calls. You need to concentrate for up to a minute for it to be successful. So you cast a spell, and the target needs to make a charisma saving throw or be banished. So if they succeed, nothing happens. But if they fail, and they are native to the plane that you're on, which these players were, 
you are banished to a harmless demiplane where you are incapacitated. The rules of this is that you are unable to do anything. You are incapacitated. So the only way for you to get back to your reality is for the person who cast the spell to lose that concentration before a minute is up. So if a minute passes and nothing has happened to break the spellcaster's concentration, the person is now permanently banished in this demiplane and incapacitated. If concentration is broken and then the focus is lost for the spell, the person returns to that plane of existence. Now, there was no spellcaster in this example. There were gems. What they had to do was take the gem that caused banishment to happen and bring it to close proximity to another gem of similar color or to use the rogue found a, a gem that could have taken in the magic and cause it to dissipate and destroy it. So this is how we played it out. Right away, the monk got banished. And it says incapacitated. Now, here's where the improv comes into play. For any of you who have ever played D&D, being incapacitated is one of the worst fucking things to happen to you. This, it's second worst thing. The worst thing is for your character to die. So incapacitated is you can't do anything. You are just helpless in the situation, and it's up to the other players to do something. You just, your opinion no longer matters. You're just knocked out. So what I decided to do is when the monk got banished, instead I decided that he wasn't incapacitated. What I decided to do is he was transported to this plane that was covered in fog. He saw nothing but fog. And then as time went on, because one minute is about six rounds, every round the fog started to clear and things started to become clearer for him so he could see a few things. Now, I allowed him to still talk with the other players because obviously what the players did in the real plane, like the real, like their plane, their plane of existence, what the players did there would impact the monk, Shin, his ability to come back to them. So I allowed them to still discuss and he's like, look, you guys got a lot of shit going on in that room. Take, make sure that you guys survive because, you know, demons, are, there's demons in this campaign. He's like, demons are starting to rise in that room. You guys got to take care of that. Make sure you survive. I'm okay for now. Because they didn't know how banishment worked. This is their first time encountering the banishment spell. So Shin starts to explore this area. As the place starts to clear up, he can see more. He eventually sees before him this great stone structure. And hearing cries of the damned, the skies are red. You know, this is the terrible place that he's in. And so he keeps telling them, like, look, so far I'm fine. I'm going to start exploring this area and see what I can do. You guys handle that thing on your end. Now, over time, he started to explore a little bit. And essentially, that just came down to, I didn't banish him to a harmless demiplane. He got banished to the abyss. The area of the abyss he was in was harmless. So he couldn't get harmed there. But I kept track of the time limit. And what happened was, after the sixth round passed, the gems for banishment weren't shattered yet. So what happened was, Shin essentially was fully banished to the abyss. A demonic hand grabbed him and pulled him deeper down into the plane and knocked him out. Everything I just said there, with the banishment and everything... I had it planned with the gems using the banishment spell that was planned. However, everything that happened to Shin after his banishment was not planned. I had no notes of what I wanted to do. I just didn't want to leave him hanging. I did not want to leave my friend hanging with nothing to do. Because for him and me, it's no longer fun. He has nothing to do. The other players 
aren't able to interact with him at all and have any impact on him. And me, I just have a deadweight character now that I'm like, well, it's your turn, Shin. Sorry, turns up, moving on. Like, it, it ruins the flow of the game. So I was improving this whole idea of being banished to the abyss because the lore behind this campaign that my players are now figuring out is demons are a pretty big thing here. And they're trying to figure out, okay, what are we going to do about this now that we know that demons are kind of popping up here and there and there's time rifts and dimensional tears and stuff like that. So I played into that idea with him getting banished to the abyss through this spell. So I kept the idea of it being harmless. However, I removed the incapacitated part. The next step that happened here, because of all this improv that happened, I now have two separate campaigns going in this one campaign. I have the two guys still in the real world, and I have now this monk who's banished in the abyss. So when the book says they're incapacitated, and if the spell completes after one minute, they remain banished there... Yes, you could role-play a thing where the other players could find a way to this demiplane and rescue this person who was banished. Definitely. That is a possibility. Yet, that leads to the dilemma of still, this player's character is banished and has nothing to do. Yeah, the player could re-roll a character to then pick up and keep playing, but for anyone who's ever done that because I've had to do that... It's terrible. Like, yeah, I'm still playing with the same people, and I still know the campaign, but it ruins the flow of it because I've developed these relationships with these characters, you know, the other players. I've developed relationships with them, with this one character that I've been putting a lot of effort into, and now I have to restart with another character. And because I'm a high-level character now, you know, I'm not starting at level 1. Okay, how is it that I'm already a level 7, level 10, or whatever? What's, you know, details, my backstory, this, that, the other thing? There's a lot more we have to put in... Figure things out, you know, to, to make this work. So now what I decided to do is, okay, Shin, you're banished in the abyss. What's going to happen now? Improving that whole scenario of him being banished, I have now opened up this floodgate of lore. Because before, the players were just kind of like doing quests, if you want to call it that. They were developing relationships with different NPCs and just doing things to help them out and doing things to kind of establish themselves in this city. But now that they have a couple contacts around the city that know a few different things, they are now using that knowledge that they've gained, using their contacts, trying to figure out how do we bring the monk back. So the two guys still in the real world are doing that. Like, okay, hey, let's talk to Barakas. Let's go hit up Barakram. Let's figure a few things out. You know, some people know some stuff. What can we do to start putting the pieces together to rescue our friend? That's driving the narrative on that side all on its own. I no longer have to worry about... What might my players do next? My players are solely focused on getting him back and finding information. So all I have to do is set up little story threads for them to find information. Now on Shin's end, he's banished to the abyss. It could just be easy to say, hey, you're in the abyss. There's demons everywhere. Get fucked. That's the abyss for you. I could do that. I, what I decided to do is not do that. Now, long story short, in this campaign, the rogue I mentioned earlier that has spellcasting... I decided to roleplay it. The reason why he's able to cast spells is he's, he's willingly made a pact with a demon lord. Long story short, we'll get to that later. Now, Shin, who's been banished to the abyss, has met a different demon lord. And that demon lord knows that his friend made a pact with a, another one. So now we have this whole kind of politics thing going on in the abyss that this demon lord's like, yeah, I don't know why, but she's summoning you, but you're on my territory, so... I don't know what's going on right now, so let's, you know, let's make things work. So we end up role-playing this entire survival situation because he was banished to the, this realm that was watched over by the Prince of Beasts or the Horned King. If you know 5th edition, you might know who I'm talking about. He had to then survive this 
entire survival situation where he essentially was in the forest. Like, he was in the abyss. Yes, the sky was red, but otherwise it looked like a normal forest. There were just a lot more demons and a lot more beasts running around. And he had to go through this whole survival situation. And now he's gotten through that survival situation. He has met up with the Queen of Undeath, the one that the rogue made a pact with. He's now met up with her. So now on that end, he's driving the narrative of what's happening in the abyss and what the demons are planning and, like, the scope of things, a.k.a. what I want to do with the demons. He's now having a direct impact on that because he wants to head back home, obviously. But he's on their territory, so he has to work with them for now. And it drives a lot more of his character because his backstory, he said, you know, I'm a monk. I had a temple. Demons attacked. And the temple got destroyed. So I hate demons. So now he's – and he's told me before, like, we've talked. He's like, I hate this. And when he says hate, he means, like, his character, playing out his character. He hates the situation he's in because he hates demons. He has a grudge against them. He wants to kill all of them. But he's a pawn in their game, and there's nothing he can do. Like, he has to – he is siding with the Queen of Undeath right now because she's the one that's been nice to him so far, and he has no choice. He's not happy about it, but what else is he going to do? So it's driving this strong narrative that's now it's – it's creating more tension to play with, allowing Shin to have an impact on everything that's going on in the story while the other two are trying to find a way to bring him back. Yeah, I'm a little split here, but it's fun because – I can explore so many different options out on the abyss, and because it's all, it's just Shin, it's just soloing him right now in the abyss, he has so many options of what he can do that everything comes down to just pure improv. I might roll some dice to give myself some ideas, but it comes down to pure improv. Like, what's some things I want him to encounter, and how do those events plan out? And then since he's playing it, he's like, look, I am a monk, I can fight. But these guys outnumber me, you know, 10,000 to me, I'm going to hide every, you know, I'm going to keep hiding. It plays out really tense scenes of him being hunted by this pack of gnolls the entire time. There's gnolls hunting him down where he's trying to outmaneuver and outsmart them. So every time I was role-playing as the gnoll pack, it came down to what ways are they going to be hunting him down? First, they're just searching for him and he keeps, you know, he's hiding, he's trying to outrun them, stuff like that. The couple encounters he has, he might encounter one or two alone. He will try and take them down, and then others come in, so he started to run away. And then it kept developing, kept developing to the point that there was a trap laid for him. He found a deer caught in a lake in a bear trap, and he decided to free it. And the second he freed it, a bunch of gnolls pounced on him and jumped him. Because I was able to play the idea that these pack hunters were learning from him. Because I didn't have to worry about everyone else. It was just a single player that was – I was – reacting to whatever he did. I kept using this creative improvisation for making this this session for him. And I played off of him and it made it a lot. It made the thing come alive. Like it made the story come alive because of it. Cause I had to work off of him. He wasn't working off of me anymore. I told him what was in front of him, what he did. I played with, we had weather effects, stuff like that. It was great. So now my story has opened up to a bunch of different avenues and now we have a lot more of a focus of what these guys want to do as they approach level 10 because once you hit level 10 like shit really gets real because in the next 10 levels it takes a long time to hit level 20 and because you're level 10 there's a lot you can do so now we're really kicking into gear what it is these guys can do together so that whole story i just said came off of the very simple yet powerful spell banishment and me having no out should one of the players be permanently banished via the spell? And since I didn't, I decided, like, hey, you know what? There's demons. Let's say he gets banished to a plane of demons. Okay, now what happens? And we just keep going on and on and on. 
If you're a GM, think about that. Think about some spells. Tweak it a little bit. You know, it, that's the joys of D&D. And they say it in the DM's guide. Like, you know, these are guides. Yeah, technically they're rule books, but they're mostly guides. Here are some ideas to get you started. Use what you want. Recreate things. Trash what you don't like. Do all this cool stuff. And so I'm doing that, playing around with these spells that have certain wordings. But let's get rid of that. Let's see what can it do with us lore-wise. And as we explore that, now the improv has to fill in the rest. I have to play out this idea of, okay, where is he? Yeah, it can be tricky because you can get put on the spot. And the player turns to you as a GM to tell them what they see before they act. There's a little bit of pressure, but it's fun. It allows it, everything comes more natural then because I'm just thinking it off the top of my head. It's a lot more natural. And then I build off of my friends as they're playing. And as players, we build the world together. And there's a lot more buy-in. Yeah, he's in a terrible situation. He hates where he's at. He's not happy he's in the abyss. But now there's much more buy-in in what he's doing. And he's a lot more interested in the story now than he was before. Because before, he was just a drunken monk. He's just kind of like, yeah, I'm just here. I'm just around, just kind of doing the thing, having a good old time. But now he's banished and he's all alone. He's like, shit. Okay, now I got to focus. Now I got to think. Everything I do, and he said that. He's like, everything I do could possibly kill me. Shit, I got to focus. There's a lot more buy-in there. And then with the other two, with the fighter and the rogue... You know, we're all good friends. We always joke around. They're now thinking like, okay, we got to be a little bit serious at this point. We have to think, how can we get him out of there? Because what I'm doing is I have, I have several communications between the two halves now. The two friends in the real world and the friend in the abyss, they have no communication about the game. Like, you know, we hang out and stuff, but I, I have completely forbid them talking about the game. So neither of them have any idea what's going on between the other two. So now the rogue and the fighter are bought in like, shit, we got to get moving. We have to figure things out. We need to talk to people. We need to do what has to be done. And there's a lot more investment now in the story simply because of a quick little minute of improv. I did a quick little segment of improv of not making the monk unconscious. And instead he saw something. And because he saw that, holy shit, our doors have widened for this campaign. So that's a little tip for today. Improv. Be creative. If a player does something that you didn't expect, especially when it deals with magic, what can you do to keep the player engaged with their actions? And don't make it punishing. I could have easily had Shin get knocked out or killed. But where's the fun in that? You know, it would have really upset my friend. He would have been like, okay, I guess, you know, I'll just make a new character. It, it would have really ruined the flow of it. When your players do something, roll with it. Literally, fuck the die. Don't roll the die. Roll with what they're doing and just make it up. Just play off of their energy with what they're doing. And next thing you know, you could open up so many more options for your campaign. So we'll continue this conversation. We'll keep talking about D&D here and there, different uh, things, different tips, stuff like that. All right. I know this episode was a little short. I had to work this weekend, so I didn't. I haven't had really a day off technically for a bit as a teacher. And uh, I apologize if anyone was hearing any sound outside. It's a really nice day out, so I have the windows open. And living in Brooklyn, there's some asshats that ride motorcycles, and they think it's really cool that they rev their engines really loud as they go down the street. So if you heard any, like, loud noises in the background that weren't my voice, I apologize. People don't have a lot of respect sometimes. Anyway, that's going to do it for this episode. I hope to catch you all next week as we continue our conversations on D&D. Farewell, happy hunting, and if you haven't played D&D yet, pick up the books. Give it a give it a read. Give it a shot. Take care.
Join us every Sunday at 8 p.m. for a new episode of Gaming Couch. Be sure to follow us on Facebook at Gaming Couch for news and updates. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, shoot us an email at gamingcouchpodcast at gmail.com.